I think that's about it. So we will be this morning in, uh, we're going through the uh, Psalms. That was tonight, sorry. Uh, This evening, going through the Psalms, we'll be in Psalm 11. We're going through the Old Testament chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But before we begin, let's pray. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Bible, raise your hand. Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, so much. Father, for just breathing life into us, Lord. Your word says that before Christ we were dead in our transgressions. We were alienated. We were far from God, your word says. But you have brought us near. And Lord, the men and women in this room, children come from many different places, Lord, with some riding on the crest of a wave, other down in the trough, Lord. And we thank you so much that, Father, by your word, through the Holy Spirit, you can meet everyone where they're at. We just pray and agree that that will happen this evening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 11. It says, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain. For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string. That they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. And so, we learn here of a real important principle. And that is this. Never ever take counsel from your own heart. So oftentimes your own heart, you'll be in the will of God and your own heart, which your own heart is, is, is telling you, will tell you, flee as a bird to the mountain. And my favorite example of this is in 1 Samuel 27. Why don't you... Why don't you turn there? And it could very well be that this is um, a psalm that was written at this point in, in David's life, First Samuel 27. First Samuel 27, verse 1. It says, And David said in his heart, now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. And then it says, Then David arose uh, and he went to the king of Gath. And so 
this is a point in David's life in, in 1 Samuel 27 where he had been running from King Saul for about 10 years and he was absolutely exhausted. He was living in the open air day in and day out in the evenings. He would hide in sort of the nooks and crannies of the rocks out there in the open Judean wilderness. Someone would find out where he was and they would rat him out to King Saul and King Saul would just be following him around. And, you know, David was the greatest king of Israel. In fact, he was the greatest king who ever lived. And there's no way he could have known at the time But the fact of the matter was this. God wanted him in that very place, the place in the wilderness, the place where he is just suffering in in this incredible way. This place where he was uh, running away from the king and having to every single day plead with God, God, save me from this. I can't stand this anymore. I can't stand this place that you have me in. I mean, here was a man who at one point um, Saul had given him uh, the right to, uh, to, to dine at his table every single evening. Saul had given him uh, his daughter. He knew sort of the luxuries of living in uh, the palace environment. And for 10 years, and so, you know, when he was in the situation, all he could think of is this is the worst. I, I just, uh, and, and, and in 1 Samuel 27, it was after, uh, after 10 years, he just said in his heart, you know, I'm just going to perish if I don't get out of here. And he went. And he went to the land of Philistines. And he lived like a pagan for a year, and his whole life fell apart. That's what we get when we listen to the counsel of our own heart. What does our own heart say, Psalm 11? It says, flee as a bird to your mountain. This place that you think God wants you to be, no, flee as a bird to the mountain. Verse 2, for look, the wicked bend their bow. In other words, you're going to be toast if you stay here. You're going to take things, uh, you know, take charge of your life. You're going to, in the strength of your flesh, you're going to take control. It says they make, their, uh, make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. In other words, you're going to get killed. And that's what Satan will always tell you when you're in the will of God. It'll, it, believe it or not, it'll get back to this. You're going to die. You're going to get killed. And so here in this psalm... Uh, uh, here in the, 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 this psalm, uh, there's this struggle going on. David's recounting the struggle going on. Verse 3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, your, your whole foundation, if you stay here, David, is going to crumble and you're going to be toast. You're going to be fodder. You're going to be fodder for the enemy. You better get out of here. Get out of God's will. That's Satan's number one directive for your life is to get you out of the will of God. But then in verse 4, 
we read this. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His uh, eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. And so what's going on here is this. You know, David's recounting all these fears, this bad counsel he's getting from his own heart. And, and, and what's the solution? Just getting before the Lord and remembering, verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, God's in control. All this madness that is swirling around my life right now, God is in control. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Heaven always speaks of authority when you, when you read about heaven. Uh, often a reference to heaven in the Bible speaks to authority. In other words, God has complete authority over, yes, okay, verse uh, 2. There's, uh, there's arrows that are pointed at me. They get their bending, the wicked are bending their bow, but God has complete authority over that bow. They may shoot secretly at the upright in heart, but if God, God has that authority and he's got nothing, uh, we, I have nothing to uh, worry about if I can just fix my eyes on the Lord. He's in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. It says, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul will hate. So just a reminder and, and think of this so often in your devotion time. This is a rich time in my, in my devotional life is when I just get filled with anxiety, filled with fear and confusion, and just, just sitting down before the Lord and remembering the, who God is, that He's in control, what His character is, and that this simple, this simple truth here is that you know He tests the, the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. In other words, God opposes the proud, the Bible says. But he exalts the humble. And as we humble ourselves before him, we need not worry about the wickedness that surrounds us. Verse 5, verse 6, upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. And so how often we're in just a burning trial. You know, maybe our burning trial is remaining single. And what a difficult season uh, that can be, remaining single. And just the temptation for some short-term relief from just the loneliness that uh, is sometimes felt or uh, some just relief from the pain of purity. Uh, Sometimes purity can be painful. Just to get before the Lord, verse 7, and remember, but the Lord loves righteousness. The Lord loves righteousness. And just even saying that out loud sometimes is a, is a strong thing to just have us remember his countenance beholds the upright, meaning that his eyes are upon you. And so just remembering the righteousness of God. 
So verse uh, uh, Psalm 12, again, uh, a psalm of, of David's. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Another recurring theme in the Psalms is David being sort of cornered by the enemy. And remember, we, we've spoken about this, though you may not have a physical enemy, you have a, a spiritual enemy in Satan himself. And so oftentimes, you see this recurring t- a theme in the Psalms of David sort of being backed into a corner where he's just filled with fear. He's like, you can imagine him almost like in a fetal position, just feel uh, just filled with with fear and terror and he's thinking help lord for the godly man ceases for the faithful disappear from among the uh from the from the uh the sons of of men and 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 you know by the way just and i bring this up often those first two words help lord great prayer <laughs> just really short prayer great prayer and um, I've shared this a number of times, and, but it, it bears worthy of repeating a lot. When Steffi and I were married about a year, we went down to Venezuela, and my cousin picked us up at the airport at 12 midnight and d- drove us on a coastal highway about four hours away to some place where my uncle was. And, and he is just uh, flying in his car. And, you know, we're in the back seat, and, um, uh, and uh, I had been in some pretty bad wrecks in my life, and I still to this day would prefer driving because the bad wrecks I've, I've been in, other people have always been the one driving. Uh, but anyway, um, so I'm in the back seat, and it's like 3 in the morning, and my, there's all of a sudden my the car is going about 70 miles an hour. My cousin uh, hits a puddle, and there's some construction. And I mean, at 70 miles an hour, it just the car begins to skid. And then all of a sudden, the car, it, it, it was this incredible scene. The car goes, he, it was skidding, and then all of a sudden, it goes, went backward and into opposing traffic. And it was 3 in the morning, but there was... Uh, plenty of cars out there, and as all I could think of was, this is the end, because we hopped the median going backward at probably about 50 miles an hour, and Stephanie just shouted out, save us, Lord, and the very next thing I remember, we had gone through traffic and were just sitting on the other side, and our car hadn't been hit or anything, and we were all fine. And it was, the, it was the most, it was like an eerie feeling that the Lord had just saved us. And the strangest thing is our entire windshield was completely shattered. I mean, you couldn't even see out of it. 
no car had hit us. I guess it was going back over this median. The, you know, our, uh, how our car didn't flip, I don't know. But, uh, you know, when you're in a situation like that, you don't say, Oh, Father God in heaven who created the earth, and, and, and it, it, we, I humbly come before you. No, it's nothing like that. You have, a, you have a relationship with the Lord, and sometimes just crying out a quick word of faith um, is what the Lord uh, really wants. But once again here, you know, this is a lie. And so much of what we struggle with, so much what you struggle with, what I struggle with, is just lies. Lies from Satan. Lies that come into um, our own man. It says the godly man ceases, the faithful disappear. And um, just going through um, with a brother the other day, 1 Kings 19, where Elijah just um, takes off. He runs away from God. He finds out Jezebel's after him. Even though he had just killed 450 prophets and brought fire from heaven, he gets mad at this woman, you know. And he, he runs away and he's sleeping and God says, what are you doing here? And he says, look, I'm no better than my forefathers. I just want to die. I've, I've served the, uh, the, the Lord faithfully, but they've killed all the prophets and I'm the only one left. And he had completely believed that lie. A hundred percent he believed that lie. What did the Lord tell him? No, man, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel who have been faithful to me, who have not bowed down to Baal. Now get up and go back and start serving me again, is what, is what he said. And so, so much of, what you, of our day-to-day battle is just, dealing with the lies of the enemy. It's not true, as it says in verse 1, that the faithful disappear. Uh, so anyway, again, you see this progression. And so much of, of the Psalms is, is, you'll, is, is, is David wrestling with God, and it's so necessary. Again, I've been through the Psalms so many times, and I've just gotten into the habit of just stepping into his shoes, sitting in his seat, and just speaking these words and owning this word, these words uh, uh, as, my, as my own. And what you have uh, as you go into the psalm, into, verse, into this prayer, actually what it is in the psalm, in verses 3 and 4, is he begins to come out of this place where he's just believing lies. And again, what is it? He focuses on the character of God. May the Lord cut cut off all flattering lips um, and the tongue that speaks proud things who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Now, it is true that we live in a society today where um, many are declaring this, this very thing. Who is Lord over us? And did they say like Pharaoh did to Moses, who is Jehovah that I should obey what he says? There's no such person as Jehovah, no such God as Jehovah. Who is that? Now, you know, that is, uh, that is absolutely true, but, but we should never get into the place where we feel like, well, they're just going to overtake us. And so oftentimes, you know, we're listening to the media, we're, you know, we're looking at TV, what, CNN.com, or, or that's my poison, by the way, but uh, in any event, you just become convinced that the, the godly man has ceased, and he's just overtaking us. 
But in verse 6, it says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And so I believe one of the things that's going on here is David is realizing, you know, a lot of this madness that is going on around me, uh, the wicked pursuing me the way they're pursuing me, it's about God refining me. Because what do they say about, you've probably heard this before, about a, a silversmith. You know, how long does a silversmith keep the silver in the furnace? He does an, until that point where he can see his own image, his own face in the silver. And man, that is so the case when we are in these situations where we're like, oh man, the godly man sees uh, the faithful disappear from among the sons of men and you know, you're in a work situation at work and everyone around you just seems like, man, these people are evil and they're poking me with their spears all day and lashing me with their tongues, that type of deal. When you get before the Lord in the morning and you just remember the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of, uh, of the earth, purified seven times. In other words, God wants to be able to see himself when he looks at my life. And that's why all these, that's why all this madness has happened around me. He's refining me. And just being able, not listening to the counsel of your own heart and running away from the will of God, but just standing fast there and allowing him to do his refining work. Verse 8, the the wicked prowl, or rather, verse 7, you shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. And so just the importance here of standing fast and remembering the character of God, verse 7, that he preserves his children from this generation forever. You know, you can go back right down, back to the, new, uh, the be- uh, beginning of the new church in the book of Acts, and you can trace a body of believers right up into the present time. God's always faithful to preserve a remnant, and a strong one, a strong one. You know, I remind myself a lot, <laughs> you know, whenever I'm drinking my poison, CNN.com or whatever, uh, that well, there's just so much wickedness. I do remind myself a lot that there is a strong remnant in this country. There may be 1.5 million abortions a year, and that's just awful beyond, beyond belief. They may be redefining marriage, and they may be doing um, all this stuff, but the fact of the matter is you can go anywhere in this country, and you can run into believers who love Jesus. That can't be said for a lot of places in this world. And, and so God does preserve a remnant, and he always has. You know, in the Middle Ages, uh, they were called the Dark Ages for a good reason, because there wasn't a whole, whole lot of light. But you, for those of you who are history majors, you can actually trace a real strong remnant through that whole time in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And 
speaking of the silversmith and refining someone in the fire to the to the point where you know you can see the person's uh, image in the see your image in in the silver well this is it god will god will deliberately for a season hide his face from you hate to have to even say the words but he'll have you in that place and it's those places i find more than any other others where my fresh is my <laughs> my flesh is just being fried off where i'm just having to say lord i don't get this will you hide your face from me forever it's in those times so often where this refining this refining fire is drawing me ever more into his image or transforming me ever more uh into uh, his image. Verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my own soul? So, you know, during those times where you're just not hearing from the Lord and the only thing you can hear are your crazy ideas of what you think is right. Taking counsel in your own soul, again, the most dangerous thing that you or I can ever do, taking counsel uh, in our own soul. But he's like, Lord, I, I can't hear you. I feel like I'm just taking, you know, advising myself on things. Would you please, you know, speak, Lord? Uh, again, in verse, continue on, verse 2. Having sorrow in my heart, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? So important that you and I be honest with the Lord. If you can't hear God, complain to him about it. Say, Lord, what's up? I do not understand. I'm not hearing from you. Get real with the Lord. You know, religion, religion, I hate religion because religion is where you put on like a, 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 a fake, a, a fakeness and a hypocrisy with God, even though he knows your heart. You, 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 you put on just this, this religious front with him when you talk to him and, and as if he doesn't know exactly that in your heart you're complaining, you know, why is it that you never speak? But, oh, you know, you're speaking to him with thous and dies and all this other stuff. And, and meanwhile, there's no heart-to-heart relationship. And so you don't see that in David. That's why it's so important for you guys just to soak yourself in the Psalms. Because it's here where we learn how to be worshipers and how to be just real with God. David was a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you, if it was, if it was okay for him to complain to God, it's okay for you to complain to the Lord. Verse 3, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Man, I just like that. I just really love that. Consider and hear me, O O Lord my God, and light my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Have you ever been in that place? How wonderful it is to just, you know, go right into the Psalms and, and realize that, wow, I'm in the same place as one of the greatest men of God who ever lived was in. You know, First Peter chapter 5 speaks of, you know, don't let Satan deceive you. And one of the ways he deceive, deceives us, and you'll read about this in, in First Peter chapter 5, is deceives you into thinking that you're the only one thinking or going through what you're going to. No Christian would be thinking what you're thinking. 
those vile things that you're thinking or those faithless things or that unbelief that's coming into your mind. No Christian would ever be like that. And then you know, you read through the Psalms and you're like, wow, here's a man of God who he had struggled with unbelief and faithlessness and fear just like I um, do. He says, um, uh, he says again, enlighten my eyes, God, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So important for you to get your complaint out to God, (laughs) which David did here. And what did God do? God started reminding David of how bountifully he had treated David. But if David had never complained, if he didn't shout out to God, God, why are you doing this to me? He just would have gone on in frustration. And that's why wrestling with the Lord in prayer is so important because he will bring you to this place where you're like, oh Lord, you've dealt so bountifully with me. He'll bring you to that place. But man, you got to get real with him. You got to talk to the Lord. And, and, and men, when we, when he, by his grace, we're, we're, we're able to just look at our lives. I was in the Cape last um, Monday, and I was born out there, and, and just uh, spent my summers there growing up. My parents were like moving all around the world and country, but the one thing I had that was constant was we went to the Cape each summer, and... and um, just looking at my five children, just, I don't know what we were doing, just running around on the beach somewhere and just bringing tears to my eyes. Lord, you have dealt so bountifully with me. This is amazing. Write down in your journal. Say, oh, only nerds keep journals. Well, be a nerd then. As you know, start a journal. Write down in your, in your journal the good things that the Lord has done for you. Because Satan will put you in a corner where it seems like there's, he's never done a good thing for you in your life. And, 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 and so this is this wonderful thing that happens when we wrestle with the Lord in prayer. By the end of, uh, of the prayer, look what's going on here. Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, I, I don't know why, but I, I love that verse. I mean, it's just so true. I said it a few Sundays ago in a Sunday morning service. If, if you really believe there's no God. You're a fool. And that's not me speaking. That's um, 
That's the Lord speaking. Romans chapter 1 says that people who call themselves atheists and agnostics are in fact suppressing the truth. They say they don't believe in truth, but Romans chapter 1 says they're suppressing the truth. In other words, the truth is crying out at them. The Bible says the mountains proclaim the glory of God, the ocean proclaims the glory of God, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, and they're they're just suppressing it. I, I just don't, you know, they're trying to sort of keep it down. Everyone know what I mean by suppressing? You know, it's like those little, those at the, at the fair or whatever, you know, the, that little game that you play to try to win a big teddy bear where the heads come up and you go, you know, with a little hammer, you go boom, 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 boom. You know, the heads just come up. Yeah, you, you guys know that? Or I'm just making a fool out of myself up here. <laughs> I love that one. It's like, you know. Um, anyway, uh, 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 but that's what a that, that's what a, a, an agnostic or an atheist that the Book of Romans chapter one says they do with the truth. As soon as it comes up, boom. As soon as it comes up, boom. You know, as soon as they he- hear a, a theory of why evolution is impossible and and there must be some kind of intelligence behind the design, boom. And they spend their whole life going boom, 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 boom. And the thing is, the most they'll ever get is some big teddy bear because they're, they're keeping their, themselves, they, they have a, a horrible eternal fate waiting for them if they, if they go to their death uh, like that. I love this. Um, the word agnostic is from the Greek agonosko, some of you already know where I'm coming, going to go with this because you know what gnosko means. Gnosko means knowledge, uh, means no. So an agnostic has no knowledge. They're know-nothings. The Latin word for agnostic is, this is true, ignoramus. And, you know, you hear that, um, ignoramus, oh, that, that, that sounds horrible. Well, that's true, though. They are ignoramus. They're, they're, they're suppressing the truth. That's just a biblical truth. Just read this week, by the way, um, this incredible statistic. The, is it the Pew Research Institute took a, a poll? They were hired to do a poll. And they found out that of kids who live, who are growing up in staunchly atheistic or agnostic households, which is a growing number and percentage, by the way, 50% of them the way the New York Times put it, defect to the faith. They go back to some kind of faith. Now, granted, it's not all Christianity, but uh, 50% of them defect. Catholics, 14% defect, and Protestants, 12% defect. So what does that tell you? It tells you that there is something in the heart of man saying it's a conscience. It's a God-given conscience. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. And they interviewed, you know, these, these 50%. These, and they, just, they said the obvious. I, I, there was something spiritually lacking in my life. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. 
They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And actually, when you ask yourself, well, why would, ever, why would someone ever say there's no God? The rest of the verse does answer. It's because they're corrupt. They've done abominable things and they don't do good. Meaning that a person, we've discussed this many times before, a person who is, has their heart bent after doing evil or living the way they want to, they know that if they concede there's a God, that, that a God to whom they're accountable to, that they can't justify their behavior. And so that is why they insist there is no God. We read about this in Psalm chapter 2. Uh, speaking of the wicked, it says they just want to, they're, they're, they're out declaring, we need to just cast the chains of God off of ourselves. We don't want that kind of accountability. We don't want that res- those kind of restrictions on our life. Verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven among, upon the children uh, of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no, none who is good. No, not one. Now, this particular in, in this particular psalm, this is quoted. Where is this quoted? Who knows where this is quoted? Yeah. Romans 16. I mean 3. Romans 3, this is quoted. Why is it quoted? It's quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. That is, there is none who does good, not even one. To establish in his letter that no one can ever get into heaven by being good. Because here, in this particular psalm, David's just stating a truth, which is there's no one who is good. Meaning, the heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. That's what the heart is. There's no one who's good. And Paul uses this in Romans just to establish and in his letter and tell the Romans, look, if you think you can get into heaven by being good, you are deceived. And so here David was actually speaking prophetically here. Verse 4, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord. There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. And you know, this is true, this, this verse here. It says, they are, they are in great fear. Who? It's the wicked who deny God and who suppress the truth. They're in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. Deep in their hearts, the people who oppose God, who oppose the things of God, who oppose morality, they are terrified. They're fearful. They're fearful of what may happen if righteousness ever prevails. They're fearful of the judgment. And Hebrews chapter 10, we'll get to this concept that um, in their hearts, the people who are denying God and not following God, deep in their hearts, 
there's a fearful expectation of a coming judgment. It says in verse 6, you, sh you shame the counsel of the, uh, of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the, the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Never forget the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. You know, one of the important things to learn just from the concept that in, 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 in Psalm 14.3, there's no one good, not even one. Just the 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 what theologians call the doctrine of the depravity of man that all man has fallen that sin has corrupted their hearts and they have a bent towards um, self a bent towards evil a bent towards um, uh, sort of a, a self-centered life there's a great resistance of course nowadays to that because that doesn't do good things to your self-esteem and God forbid that you would teach your children that and, and your children wouldn't feel good about themselves and that type of thing. Um, actually, there's nothing better for your self-esteem when you know that you're nothing but you have Jesus who's everything and you have the righteousness of Christ. That's how we can really build self-esteem. But you know, when you have this realistic opinion or, or not opinion, when you have this realistic uh, view towards other people that they're all fallen, every single one of them is fallen. As Christians, you, you, know, you actually need to nurture this in your heart that everyone's fallen and no one's, people are uh, far from perfect. In fact, again, th their hearts are, are desperately wicked beyond cure. You start dealing with people realistically. You don't put them on a pedestal. How amazed I am to this very day how often I make this mistake. You know, I, I run into um, a, a Christian and, I'm, and, you know, they put up this awesome front. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I, I've been mistaken for 21 years in my Christian life about how perfect are, but man, this, this, this woman, she is so perfect, she's so holy and good, or this guy, he is just one incredible dude, and, and, and I always wind up having my, basically my balloon pop, you know, you, you, you get to know the person and you realize, wow, they're falling just like anyone else. But it also frees me not to judge people, not to analyze them, not to criticize them. They need the grace of God as much as anyone else. And so, you know, that word theology is a, a big word, but it's important that we get our theology one right. And one, one doctrine, one theological truth is just the doctrine of man, that he's fallen. It's so important that we get that right in our hearts so that we're treating people, we're treating them with love and not judging them. Because people will, will fall, and we can expect them to do that. It shouldn't be a surprise. Psalm 15, Lord, who may abide 
in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. In other words, start attacking uh, his friend. Verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money as usury or at usury, meaning with a high interest. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. You know, sometimes it's great just to meditate on the law of the Lord. I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night. It's where we began these psalms. There's just something wonderful about righteousness and purity and God's law. You know, right here, there's a verse I quote a lot. It's in verse um, 4. It's towards the end. He who... So, so the, the psalm begins, who may abide in the Lord's tabernacle? It says, he who swears to his own hurt. Who has the, anyone have the NIV out there? New American, I mean, New International Version. Why don't you read that verse 4? Okay, thank you, Lynette. So he keeps his oath even when it hurts. So this is this is the verse I quote often with people. Someone will come to me and say, you know, I just uh, was interviewing for a job and I accepted this job and, uh, and I told him I'd go work for him, but I just found out. I've only been working there three weeks. I found out this other job. This other job offered me a job and their pay is more. And, you know, what should I do? Well, you committed to that other employer. The Bible says you need to... What it, the, the Bible says, who may abide on the tabernacle of the Lord, he who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Well, look, it's going to hurt, but you better keep that job. And so how often do I, I, I see Christians with a, their word, their commitment, their promise means nothing anymore. Yes, it'll hurt making $10,000 yes, less over the next year. But you've maintained a witness for the Lord. And I had one brother, you know, about a year ago do this. And, and of course, when he went to his old employer, they were furious at him. I'm sure I already knew he was a Christian the whole nine yards. What's $10,000 when we lose our testimony? It's all going to burn. And, you know, this, this happens over and over and over again. You know, there's some money issue involved, and um, they've, they've, they've made a commitment to do one thing, but, you know, something, something else comes up which makes 
keeping their commitment really, really, really hard. And I understand there's grace and there may be certain circumstances where, um, you know, you can get, go to a person and get out of a commitment. But for the most part, we need to keep our oaths, our promises, our commitments, even when it hurts. Now, I do find it interesting that there are, there's different counts of how many rules there are in the Old Testament. One is um, 600 and something. Is it 616? There's another one, 763 rules and regs in the Old Testament. There's 15. Uh, uh, the psalmist here, David, reduces the 763 to 15 here in Psalm 15. Micah, the prophet Micah, boils the 763 down to three. I love this verse. He, uh, he has shown the O man what the Lord requires of thee, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So Micah did three, but what did Jesus do? He reduced it to how many? One, love. Two different applications, love God and love your neighbor, but it boils down to the one thing, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Love. So we do have a choice, I suppose. We could, uh, like, go for the 763 and try to uh, keep up with them. We could go to Psalm 15, try to keep up with those 15. We go to Micah. Micah, that is a great verse, Micah. Fantastic verse. Or, or we can really just focus on the one. Love. Love God, love each other. The greatest glory in life is to love. Is to love. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, talked about it last Sunday night. Above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The greatest glory in life is to love. Not to be loved, but to love. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to get, but to give. And how many of us can say when we woke up this morning, we set out on our day with that in mind. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to get, but to give. Not to be loved, but to love. It's just so, so, so powerful. It bears repeating so many times, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. No matter how good I get at this preaching stuff, if I don't have love, like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith that removes mountains but have not love, I am nothing. In the Greek, nothing is nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, though I go to Haiti, though I go to Peru, though I go over to... Uh, the DYS, though I go over to Alice Award Taylor, 
but I have not love that profits me nothing. Wow. Jesus reduced 763 rules and regs down to one thing. Love. Love gives for the sake of giving and expects nothing in return. How often our love is conditional. How often um, I treat people on the basis of how they treat me. That, that's not love. Psalm 16. Uh, miktam of David. Miktam means Hebrew word golden or gem actually comes from the word to hide. I think Spurgeon said that there are gems hidden in this psalm, which is true because it's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm quoted in the New Testament of Jesus. So it, it, it's speaking prophetically about Jesus uh, in this psalm. Preserve me, O God, for in you... I put my trust. You know, the, one of the most powerful instincts that we have, there are instincts involving appetite, there's instincts, sexual instincts. Um, there's many different instincts, but one of the most powerful is just the, the instinct just to preserve yourself, of self-preservation. And it's one of the most destructive ones. Because so oftentimes it's opposed to love. It's opposed to love. Because that instinct of self-preservation is, is all about self. It's about putting you above someone else because you have that instinct in you that wants to survive. Here he has it right. Preserve me, O God. So he's not speaking to his own soul. In our own soul, we, we take counsel from our heart. You've got to preserve yourself. You've got to do what's necessary to preserve your own life. Look out for number one, whatever. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My goodness is nothing apart from you. So important that we understand that. We've already been through that at length tonight, but we need to understand that we have no goodness apart from the Lord. Verse 3 As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. There is something wonderful about the body of Christ, and that's who he's referring to here. The children of God, they are the excellent ones and whom is all my delight. Make the body of Christ your delight. I, you know, I, I, I know we have plenty of flaws. We have so many shortcomings. We're splattered with muck and mire. I understand that. But a godly man, a godly woman makes the church his or her delight. Verse 4. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will not, I will not offer. By the way, that was a common thing with pagan, um, with pagan 
rituals and gods. I don't know if how many of you saw that movie about St. Patrick. But he, St. Patrick lived, grew up in pagan England, you know, with the Druids and people like that. And before he became a Christian or anyone ever told him about Christ, there was that one rite where he, he actually drank a drink offering of blood and uh, way after he became a Christian and started serving the Lord, that was uh, used against him. But that's the type of things these uh, pagan religions used to do. Nor take up their names on my lips, meaning the names of other gods. And how true it is, if we take up, uh, verse 4, if we take up the, uh, over the god of, 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 of alcohol, or the god of materialism, or the god of... Uh, of lust, how our sorrows will be multiplied, as it says in verse 4. Verse 5, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Brothers and sisters, if you could just sit down by yourself in the Lord and really take ownership of this verse, where you say to God, you, God, are the portion of my inheritance, not my job. Your job. Do you know that your job is not your portion? Portion means that which sustains you. Your job is not your portion. You should not treat it at, like that. God is your portion. I love Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus answers Satan, the first temptation. I do not, you know, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's our portion. Man, we need to, women, we need to own that in our devotion time of the Lord. Verse 5 continued, You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance, and certainly that is the testimony of someone who doesn't hasten after other gods, as it says in verse 4, but rather sticks and stays and stands fast with the Lord, being refined by the silversmith, refined, as it says in the previous Psalm, Psalm 11, seven times over, to the image of God, is, is reflected off of his or her life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the Bible says, and all these things, all the things that the world runs after will be added unto you. And you will say with David, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. This will be in the next psalm, by the way. Actually, go over to Psalm 17, verse 3. It says, you have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. It's so important that you don't rule out during those times where you wake up in the middle of the night praying. I don't know if anyone else is like me. It doesn't happen to me as much as it used to, but you know, you wake up, you can't get back to bed. I remember 12, 13, 14 years ago, I'd wake up at 
2 or 3 in the morning, wouldn't fall back to sleep till about 7. It was just awful. And I used to, I remember I used to pick up Adley out of her crib. Yes, she was a little cute little baby with, she was a towhead with little blonde curls. And I used to take her um, and put her on my chest and on the, on the couch. And we used to just cuddle up there and I used to pray to the Lord with her. Uh, and just seek God in the night seasons. And, oh man, those are not easy times when you can't get back to bed. But so important that we don't waste those times. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. If that is, is happening to you, you will be so blessed by it. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. And in this case, it's okay to take instruction from the heart because what's going on in his heart, he says in verse 7, he's blessing the Lord. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now this is one to just write out, type it out, print it off, cut it out, and put over your, uh, your doorpost. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, which means um, basically in, in, in Hades, the, the resting place of of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Verse 11, you will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hands, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's, it's so true. At the right hand of God, when we stick by the right hand of God and we stand fast there, there are pleasures forevermore. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. In His presence, He shows us the path of life. This is just drooling, dripping with, tru with truth here. So important that we take ownership over these verses, that we just don't read them. Oh, that sounds so sweet and nice. Woo. No, that's not what God wants through these Psalms. He wants you to take ownership in your heart to claim them. There are some things you can name it and claim it. It is true. There are promises that you can do that with. These are some of them. That God will show you the path of life. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, these, this psalm is quoted in Acts chapter um, 2. Turn with me there.
and also Acts chapter 13, the first time by Peter. Now, Peter, at the end of the book of John, was sort of all discouraged, went back to fishing. Jesus showed up on the shore in a resurrected body, called him to the shore. He restored Peter. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, Peter, who had been, you know, couldn't, couldn't stand up to little servant girls outside of where Jesus' trial was who were saying, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, I wasn't. Started cursing God. He was hiding. He went into hiding. But at the beginning of the book of Acts, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he went out and just gave one of the most powerful sermons that's ever been preached Verse 22, this is right after, by the way, they had been filled with the Holy Spirit at the Pentecost. They were speaking in tongues. There were little fires, uh, you know, on top of their heads. People were like, wow, what is going on here? Well, Peter got up and, and delivered the, the word of God by, in power with the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, him being delivered by the, uh, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, and this is where he quotes Psalm 16. So, just going to read now from Psalm 16. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, for he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, so speaking of David, he says, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, that is David's body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ, the Messiah, to sit on his throne, he, David, Foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So in, verse, um, in Psalm 16, where it says, um, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, meaning um, when my body... Uh, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to let me see death. And, and when it says that, it's speaking of the corruption of the body after it dies. It says you're not going to let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, corruption. And, and what um, 
Peter is saying to the, uh, to the people here in the sermon is that David died and his body was corrupted. And so he was speaking prophetically here about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand, uh, uh, to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So that's the, the fu- little, uh, you know, the flames over their head and the, and the wind. Uh, that was the pouring out um, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so that is um, uh, right there. That's also uh, a quote there. And uh, that's from, from Psalm uh, 68, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you cruci- crucified, both Lord and Christ. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It's always what we want and what I pray for when I'm I'm declaring the word of God, that people would be cut to the heart, that we would be cut to the heart. And and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And it says that um, many, in verse 41, 3,000 souls were added to them on that day. And it's just so awesome that part of that sermon, that powerful sermon, all, uh, is from Psalm 16. Is <laughs> from Psalm 16 where, where he says, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy, speaking about how Jesus will be ascended ba- back into heaven and will be si- uh, seated at the right hand of God and that his soul would not be left in the grave and nor, it says, will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so this is just a prophetic psalm, Psalm 16. Okay, we will end there this evening. Before we close in prayer, just want to let you know that in about 10 minutes we'll be just returning here to pray. If you'd like to join us, please do. We pray each Sunday evening for different ministries that, uh, that the church supports. And since we now are going to be supporting Marie and Ritu, we're going to be supporting them tonight. They're going to be at the Boston University campus and the, um, uh, also the, the UMass Boston campus. I just pray for the hearts of the college students in need of salvation. We saw just a, a wonderful example uh, this morning. Actually, if you weren't here, it's just this, this really cool story about one of the people uh, that was saved this year, actually very recently, uh, through the InterVarsity uh, ministry of, of Marie, uh, this guy who's been coming to the meetings. And uh, just to give you an example of the opposition, 
his roommate is vice president of the Boston University Atheist Club. How crazy is that? Well, that's real. That's not just some little quirky story. <laughs> I mean, that stuff is happening all around the campuses in Boston. Let's pray for Marie and Ritu and what's going to happen through them. Also, let's pray for the uh, evangelism class and si- uh, street witnessing on Saturday nights, for Haiti, uh, Calvary Chapel Port-au-Prince and the orphanage, and also for Calvary kids over in Alice Hayward Taylor. Let's close in prayer here. Father, we just thank you for uh, your word this evening and uh, this promise that we have here, Lord, that you will show us the path of life, that in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, Lord. And I just pray for all of us here that we would own up to these, that we'd lay hold of these promises. Father, I also pray for every man and woman in here, Lord, that we would all learn to pray and be real with you, Lord. If there's a complaint against you, that we would just air it and not play uh, make pretend in our prayer life, Lord, that we can be restored by your goodness and by your spirit, Lord. I pray that for everyone here. Lord, if there's someone in here who their heart is crying out this evening, God, where are you? Are you going to forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? That they would air that with you, Lord. That they would speak to you and cry out to you. And may we be uh, Christians, Lord, who are willing to wrestle with you, to fast and to pray and to seek you. And Father, finally, I just pray that we would be people who follow one law, love. And Father, sometimes love, when we love people, it feels like we're going to die. Other times we love people, we feel like we're on a mountaintop. We need grace to be in both places. We ask for grace for that this evening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. You are dismissed.